If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 20. I appreciate that. And there also, the message outline is right back there at the ministry counter, right at the center doors there. Uh, we're going to continue on our series, Unstoppable. Uh, this is, I don't know, it's like the 20th message of this series. But it's great to worship God, isn't it? It's great to worship God through our singing, uh, through our giving. And that's worshiping God, too. Do you realize that, right? Through our giving, through giving of our time, through giving of our resources and our tithes to give them give them that that's all part of our our worship of god and not to do one of them and the other is we miss it out on worshiping god god wants to use all that to worship him it's great to be part of each other and what christ is doing in each one of our lives isn't it amen but god's church is unstoppable because of who jesus christ is and because of the holy spirit not because of us but because who he is and hope through this series of the book of acts so you're sensing the work of god in your life his potential and his capability to work through us. Hopefully you're sensing that. The reason that Jesus has not come back yet, according to the Bible, it says, because God still has more people to claim. And, and many of us say, man, I wish Jesus would come back soon. Well, let's get busy and let's share the gospel, right? Because that's the what's keeping him from coming back. And more people have to come to Christ. And I hope you operated out of that fundamental belief in your own heart and mind that the Holy Spirit's power is still at work. And God's church is still unstoppable, right? God is still working through his church. Don't think, oh, God doesn't work. God is still working through his church. It is unstoppable this morning. And I also hope that you see yourself personally invested in all of this because that's what Christ has called us to do, to be on mission for Jesus, right? Way back in Acts chapter 1, as I say, it was about 20 messages ago or so, uh, Jesus ascended into heaven. Remember in Acts chapter 1? You all hear it, right? Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascended into heaven. And he leaves behind his mission. He passes the baton on. In Acts chapter 1, he actually passed the baton on to about 120 people. The message of who he was and what he did to reconcile the world to God the Father. And, and so this message has been passed down through the generations. It's been passed down to me. It's been passed down to you. Now it's our job to be the unstoppable church before God, right? We're called to be that unstoppable church. Why not to drop the baton? We're to take that message up and carry it. So if you have your Bibles in Acts chapter 20, hopefully you've all found it there. Uh, this is another speech by the Apostle Paul. And uh, we've, he's given several so far. And most of his speeches are the gospel. And, and I love hearing the gospel, many different gospel presentations. I don't know about you, but I love to hear that. Because there are many different cultures that the gospel is being spoken into. And so one that feels responsibility to spread that gospel, the good news of Jesus, I, I want to be able to do that strategically. I also have to be able to do that through the culture and understand the culture. So, so it's helpful to see these different gospel presentations. But in saying that, the, the speech in Acts chapter 20 is not a gospel presentation, though. It's actually a final address. It's kind of a farewell that Paul is giving to a group of men who Paul had fathered in the faith. They were from, they are now leaders in the Ephesian church, and Paul had already been into Ephesus, now the gospel is going from Ephesus into Asia, throughout Asia, and now Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. But he stops at this little town of Miletus, and he sends word to these men in Ephesus to come and to meet with them. And in Acts chapter 20, he gives his farewell address to them. It's really kind of tear-jerking what he says to them. He gives us insight into his heart, is what Paul is doing here. The insight of this hall, his heart is a window to kind of see the window, how, how he operates what's going on in his heart and his life. But let us, as we read this, I want to remind you that we are not the Apostle Paul. 
Paul had a very unique calling. However, the same principles that drove the Apostle Paul to be on mission for Jesus has to be in work in our life as well, right? We can't say, I'm not the Apostle Paul, so I don't have to do these things. They have to be in our heart as well. We may not be able to accomplish all that he did, but they have to be in work in our life as well, being on mission for Jesus. So Paul gives an unveiling what's been going on in his heart and his life in this passage. But before we get started, there's one key a phrase here that all this I'm going to say to you this morning hinges on. And if you have one of those Bibles where God's word, when he speaks, is in red, do you, do you have one of those? In Acts chapter 20, you're going to find one verse there that actually is in red lettering. It's Acts chapter 20. At the end of verse 35, it's a very simple, straightforward statement. As Paul is quoting Jesus, he's quoting Jesus, and he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you find that? It's more blessed to give than to receive. It is interesting about that statement that Paul is quoting Jesus, but that quote is not found in the Gospels. Matter of fact, you won't find that in the Bible. You won't find that. But what we have here, it was handed down by oral tradition that Jesus had not been gone long, and there was these men that had walked and talked with Jesus, and this just kind of flowed from Jesus' lips all the time. It's just something everybody knew about Jesus. Jesus was constantly saying this, and it was constantly flowing from his lips. And he kept saying over and over again to everyone, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And my hunch is that you hearing that, this is not earth-shattering for you. I think the church, all of us would agree, yeah, that's a good concept, that's good. And we would see that in Jesus' heart, right? That Jesus lived that way, that it was more blessed to give than to receive. It's a pretty straightforward statement when we say that it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's very simply, uh, simple to understand, right? But to live it, not so much. To live it, to, to understand it is very easy, but to put it into practice is another story, right? To actually put it into practice. So if you have your outline this morning, what I want to talk to you about is the cost of investing in others, because that's what Jesus is really talking about here. The cost of investing in others. And number one, investing in others will cost you. It's going to cost you something if you choose to invest in others. In fact, maybe this morning you're teetering the fence and you're saying, of going all in for Christ, and you're a little concerned. You say, what's it going to cost me? What is all this going to really involve in, in going all in for Jesus? And maybe it's kind of like, a, you know, I don't know if you ever had an experience where a real bad experience, a near-death experience, and the thoughts that kind of rush through your mind, and you come to a point. I've talked to people after they've had those, and a lot of them would say that they, some of the questions they ask is, maybe this is it. I'm going to die. Goodbye, everyone. I'm going to die. And another question they ask, and you probably have thought about this, how much is this really going to hurt? You think about that? When you're going to face death, how much is it going to hurt? How much pain is this going to cause? And I think this whole idea of going all in for Christ in this unstoppable series, that Jesus has left us with this great mission, this over, let's admit it, it's an overwhelming mission that he's called us to, and then we get to this statement that we had here that comes from Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive, that we look at it and say, this goes against our nature, to be givers rather than takers. Because if we're all honest with ourselves, we like to receive, right? And it goes against our nature to say, first, my first inkling is to give rather than take. And so I think we're all asking those kind of questions is when we're saying all in for Jesus, what am I going to have to give up? Because I've spent my life building what I have here and protecting it and saving it. I've built my life to do this, but what am I going to have to give up? And how much is this going to hurt? How much is it really going to hurt? And part of me as a pastor who wants to be used by God to influence people to come into this God's unstoppable church, 
part of me, I want to sugarcoat the cost for you. I really do. I really like to sugarcoat the cost. But if I'm going to be true to Christ and the words that he spoke here, I can't sugarcoat the cross, the cost. Jesus was a very good salesperson, was he? And when you look at Jesus, Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he put it right there on the table. What is he saying? You're going to have to pick up your cross like I do, and you're going to have to follow me, right? He didn't say, if you're going to follow me, oh, don't worry, just follow me. It's, it's going to be a piece of cake. As a matter of fact, someone says, I will follow you wherever you go. And what does Jesus say to him? He replies to him and says, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have their nest, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Because everybody else has a place to go, has a place to they reside at, a place to live, a place to lie down their head. I have nothing. You sure you want to follow me? I have no earthly riches to give you. You sure you want to follow me? That's what he's saying. So much as I would like to sugarcoat the cost and say to follow Jesus, that once you put your faith and trust in Jesus, it's going to be all good. But that moment you make that decision, it's going to be, life's going to be all downhill. It's going to be easy, a piece of cake, no problems, no stress, no anxiety, and all that. I'd love to share that with you, but the fact of the matter of reality is really just the opposite, isn't it? That the moment we choose to, to follow Jesus, there's going to be a cost to follow Jesus. The very fact there's parts of our lives that we need to say goodbye to. They don't fit in with our life with Christ. We have to say God, goodbye to. And it's going to be hurt. It's going to be hard. And it's going to be a sacrifice. And there's going to be a cost in our life to follow Jesus. There's going to be a cost. Jesus never said there wasn't going to be a cost. If you're truly going to be following Jesus, there's going to be sacrifice. There's going to be a cost. There's going to be hurts that's going to come along in your life. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's really unpacking for these people, for these uh, leaders at Ephesus. His friends, the one he led to the faith. That's what he's sharing with them. As he bears his soul to them, he's trying to prepare them. And he tells these leaders, this is what has driven me. And this is what it's cost me. He goes into Acts chapter 20, verse 18. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 20, verse 18. It says, when they arrived, he said to them, starts off right off, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. Paul sees here to be in a stance where he wants to defend his reputation right away. He's defending who he is. He says, you know how I lived among you. Look at my life. Consider how I was living in front of you. He goes on in verse 20. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. He kind of says the same thing when we get down to verses 26 and 27. Look at that, those verses. He says, therefore... I declare to you today that I'm innocent of, of the blood of all men. I shared it with you. Your blood isn't on my head. Your blood's on their head because I, I, I blew the, the horn. Remember I told you, blew the horn? The watchman, he blew the horn. Verse 27, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. That Paul was going from city to city and he was sharing a brand new message. And that wasn't going to be very popular. Matter of fact, we looked at uh, last week the city of Ephesus. The city was a great city filled with idols. And, and they tried to kill Paul because of the message he was sharing. They did not like that message. So Paul was reminding these leaders that I was willing to put it all on the line. I put my life on the line. I put my reputation on the line. I, I want you to remember that what I did. You watched how I lived. It seems like Paul's almost like in a defensive posture. He goes on to say, you watched my life. I practiced what I preached. You don't hear many people be able to say that, do you? That's what Paul was saying. I practiced what I preached. So you know I lived the life. I lived it. Then he tells them how he lived. He reminds them in verse 33 and 34. He says, I have not coveted 
anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. So Paul realized, here's what he, this is very important for us to understand. He says, you can decide for yourself instead of just living day by day or what you can get out of life. He says, you can decide to invest in other people. That's what he's saying. You can decide for yourself to invest in other people. But when you do that, when you come with them, to them with a message of authority uh, uh, over moral issues, they're going to begin to investigate your life. There's going to be a cost. And transparency is the cost, is what he's saying. And the reality is, when we try to make an impact to claim authority on moral issues, like the gospel, and when you claim the gospel, you are doing that because you're telling people, you have to tell people, you are a sinner in need of a Savior, right? They have to understand they're a sinner before they can accept the good news, right? So we're coming claiming them moral authority that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And when you share that, people are going to want to know a whole lot more about you before they want to listen to the message you're sharing, right? And Paul is saying you've got to be willing to expose what's going on the inside of your life. It's going to cost you. People are going to want to know what's going on inside of your heart and mind. And that's what Paul is sharing with them. That's what he's saying to them right here. He says, you looked at my life. Now as you go back to Ephesus and you impact Asia with the gospel, you take the gospel there to Asia, he says, beware, this will happen to you. It's going to happen to you too is what he's saying. He says, it's a price to be paid to be on mission for Jesus. And he's warning you and I too. When we take that gospel, it's a price to be paid. People may isolate you. It's going to cost you something. People may attack you and look at your name and your character and all those kind of things. That's what he's saying. And then he talks about the price here, not so much of sharing the gospel and being on mission for Jesus. He transitions, and he says, this is a lifestyle. It's not a fad. It, this is not a phase. This is not something I'm going to do for God for a while. He's saying, this is my all-consuming passion of my life, to be on mission for Jesus. That's my life, to live for Jesus, to take the gospel. doesn't matter what it costs me doesn't matter what they do to me. That's my passion, is what Paul is saying. And so it leads us to the next one, the cost of investing in others. Number two, investing in others will take a toll. It'll take a toll on you. And he talks about that beginning in verse 24. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. What a if you don't have this verse highlighted, highlight verse 24. What a tremendous verse. But the key phrase is right at the beginning of that where he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Think about that. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My life's only worth something because I'm sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. While Paul's call, calling is different from our calling, and you and I, he was given this amazing vision on the road to Damascus, He's seen a bright light, and God gives him this special calling. Uh, he was called to be an apostle to Jesus Christ. He was given the ability, amazing ability, to perform miracles. You and I are not called to do that. We're not gifted in that way. We're not called to be an apostle like he was. That was for those guys back then. We're not called for that. We don't have the same gifts that Paul could do when we look what he did. I mean, it's amazing. But we are called to dedicate internally, right? The same way. We are called, just like Paul, to dedicate our heart and our soul and our spirit. Just like Paul. No difference. We may not have the same abilities and all those. We may not be called to a title like Apostle Paul. But we've been called to the same internally, dedicate ourselves to God and give ourselves to God. 
And we would say, like the Apostle Paul, at least I hopefully you're saved, that I've tried to create this life for myself, but now it's gone. It's not, it's not about me. It's not about this life. And now I'm embracing the mission of Jesus Christ through my life as a lifestyle. Not as a segment of my life, not as just a part of my life, but it is my life. That's what Paul was encouraging them, that this becomes your life, your all-consuming life, to live for Jesus, to be on mission for him. And that's what he's calling us to do. That's the challenge he's given you and I to do. And he kind of describes the sacrifice, and he describes the toll that it's going to take on you. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be sacrifice. And, we, and when we make that deci- decision to invest in others, he said it's going, to be a, it's going to take a toll on you. And he gives us in verse 19. He says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. This wasn't Paul's co- just Paul's cold, lifeless duty that he received this calling by God, and now I have to fulfill my duty. Well, Paul was saying, this is a partation of the energy, time, resources, talents, gifts, his very life, his very body, everything he has. He gives, I gave it all to this. I didn't hold anything back. I gave it all to, to accomplish what God wants in my life, to be on mission for Jesus. And as I say that, as I say that, and maybe you're like, wow, this guy's really into this. But that's what Paul is saying. I fear that sometimes as we're going through this series, and I've been talking about this, being on mission for Jesus, to be an all in for him, that maybe I've set the bar so high that you say, boy, I'm not up for that. Maybe you're thinking that, I'm not up for that. Boy, I, I don't think I can live that way. The great thing about walking with Jesus is, is this, and listen to me very carefully, that we can start right where we're at. Do you understand that? Do you follow me? We can start right, right where we're at. God says, I accept you right where you're at. We're all called. We may not have the calling necessary as the Apostle Paul, but we've all been called, right? All of us have been called. If you know Christ, you're saved. You've been called. And then there's a neat concept in Christianity. It's called repentance. You ever hear repentance? It's called repentance. That if I'm going in my life one, one direction with my own philosophy, doing my own thing, and all of a sudden I change and I turn to follow Jesus. And I want to flush this out in two ways. Because you're in one of two ways right here. You're one of two conditions right here this morning. Either you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You don't know him. You're not for sure where you're going to go when you die. And you're here today. And finally, you understand this morning that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You understand that Jesus Christ is God. And he died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and raised on the third day. And today, you put your faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. And right then, at that moment, you repent. You accept Christ, and you change. You start to follow Jesus. That's repentance, right? I follow Jesus. Or you're here today, and you know Jesus, and I'm a follower of Christ, but somewhere along the way, I lost my focus. And I lost my focus, and maybe I'm not living for him like I should. I've got my own philosophy. I'm doing my own agenda right now. And we all get there. We're all there sometimes. I'm not totally sold out for Christ. And so right now, all of a sudden, I understand the error of my ways, and I say, boy, I— I've got to change, and I repent, turn from my ways, and I follow Christ. Okay? You may say, well, I'm sold out for Christ. None of us are totally, totally. All of us have place for growth, right? So we repent. That's what the scriptures are calling us to. That's what this whole series that we've been going through, maybe you not realize it, is calling us to, is repent and be on mission for Jesus and give all that we have for him. It is to identify that naturally— Let's be honest, all of us are takers. All of us are takers. 
We don't want to give. We'd rather take than give. But to think about that in your own life. Maybe what God is really calling you to is not to, so much to rearrange geographically your life setting. He's not looking to move you. Maybe he's not calling you to a new job. Maybe he's not calling you to a new relationship. Maybe he's not calling you to start your life all over. In fact, more than not, maybe God is simply just calling you to, to live the life that God has given you. Right where you're at. But start doing it for a different reason. Maybe that's what God is really calling you. To live your life for a different reason. To take those relationships that you have and take those opportunities you have instead of getting up each morning and say, boy, how can I accomplish my agenda? How can I do my agenda today to accomplish it? What do I have to do to get my agenda to happen? We wake up in the morning and say, God, how can I accomplish your agenda? How this morning can I pour my life into others? How can I invest into others with the gospel? How can I invest into others, help them to become more like Christ? How can I actually do that with my own life? How can I bring glory to you in my life? And, and the great thing about that is when you and I choose to do that, when we actually come to do that, the beauty is that, that it, is that it, God does, does the work. We don't do the work. See, when I'm out with my own agenda and I'm trying to accomplish what I want in my life, God is not in that agenda. God is not into helping you to accomplish your agenda, right? And so, but when I come and I say, God, this morning, today, and every day I wake up, I'm out to accomplish your agenda. I'm out to bring you glory. How can you use me to invest in other people? God is into that agenda. That's his agenda. And God, no matter what you're doing, every opportunity, every person you come in contact, God will give you the ability to accomplish what he needs you to accomplish. And God is doing the work. We're just yielding our hearts and minds to him and say, God, you want me to go over there? Okay. Whatever you're going to do over there, you're going to work in and through me, and God will accomplish his glory. He will accomplish his work in and through us. We just have to avail ourselves, and God will do the work. And maybe today you're here this morning, and you're kind of on the fence. May I encourage you to take that next step and to live your life for Christ? To say, boy, I, I'm going to live my life for Jesus no matter where it is. See, we're not all in the same place here. You're not in the same place. That next step for you is not going to be the same as the person sitting next to you, the certain person sitting behind you or in front of you, because we're all in different places with Christ. And maybe you're way down here, you just came to Christ, and you're just like a babe in Christ, or you've never grown. You might have known it for 10, 20 years, but you haven't really grown. And your next step maybe be the waters of baptism. Maybe it's to get in, start reading my Bible on a daily basis. Maybe it's to really get in a Bible study. That's your next step. And maybe you're here about the middle way, and you're growing, but I need to grow deeper. Maybe I need someone to mentor me and disciple me. Or maybe I need to start taking on roles and serving in a capacity. Or maybe you are, and you're, you're there, and you're ready to really accomplish something good for God. And that's what I have next. Maybe you already feel like I'm following the Lord. I'm doing those things. Well, God wants to develop and increase your ability to invest in other people. Now, none of us arrive. All of us have plenty of room of growth, amen? None of us can say, oh, I've arrived, and I'm here, and, and all that. Even Paul says that he needed to grow more. I want to know you more, Jesus, in Philippians chapter 3. He talks about knowing Jesus more, that I have not arrived, not attained all this, but I'm continuing to strive forward to know you more, to understand you more, to serve you more, to love you more, to worship you more. And that's where we're all at. When we come this morning and we say, God, where I'm at, right where I'm at, that I want to take that next step with Jesus, whatever that may be for you, whatever that may be. But it's drawn closer to him, not away from him, that I'm repenting of my way, my philosophy, and I'm following Jesus, right? I'm turning toward him. That's repentance. Change your mind. Turn. Turn toward him is what we want to do. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. So because what Paul starts sharing with these leaders, he starts sharing with them 
that this is not enough just to have a desire to make that impact, but it takes us to our next point that's very important for us to understand. The cost of investing in others is number three. Investing in others will require a strategic plan. Require a strategic plan. It's smart for us to think a little bit that God has brought these people in my life. Now, I'm going to try to invest in them. How am I going to invest in them? What am I going to actually do? It seems like the Apostle Paul had this all planned out in verse 28. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit had, had made you overseers. Paul says, keep watch over the flock. Moms and dads, it's great you want your children to live for the Lord and you're spending time with them, but that's not enough. That you want that to happen and you're spending time with them, we have to sit down and develop a strategic plan for that to happen. How are we going to mold our children to be uh, like Jesus, to be molded in the image of Jesus? How are we going to make them to be more like Christ each and every day? It's just not going to happen by chance. So we've got to come up with a strategic plan. Mentors, part of the Great Commission is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the other part is a whole lot larger. It's called disciple-making. We're called to make disciples. It means we're going to have to spend time not just sharing them about Jesus, now teaching them about Jesus in the ways of Jesus and how to walk with Jesus and disciple. That's what we're called to do. And so, so we have to have a plan. We have to have a plan and say, what is it that God would have the people in my life to do, and how does he want me to influence them for Christ? How is he going to do that? And that brings us to our fourth point, the cost of investing in others. Investing in others will prepare them for the future. Prepare them for the future. People investors prepare other people for the future. You're investing people. You're preparing them for the future is what you're doing. Paul was doing that. He says in verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. We have to continue thinking of our future, preparing our the church for the future, preparing our families for the future, having a plan. And I want to challenge each of you today, no matter where you are today, as I said before, we're all in different places. I want to challenge you that you take that next step with Christ, whatever it may be, but draw closer to him, not away from him, but take that step today. Say, I'm going to take that next step with Jesus. Even if you say, Ben, I believe that I'm sold out for Christ. Here's the steps to be taken. Draw closer to him. Allow God to develop your capability to invest in others even more. And a greater increase, right? And I think what Paul is actually doing, and the final words he's saying to them, is we get to this next verse. In verse 32, he's kind of telling them, this is what you need to do to accomplish this. Verse 32. He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The best thing we could ever do to people that are in our lives is to give them to God commit them to God. That's what he's telling them. The best thing you could do is give them to God. Moms, dads, and grandparents, I know you love your children and your, grand, and, and your grandchildren, but those children and grandchildren have their own hearts and their own wills, don't they? And you as parents and grandparents, you can model and you can pour your lives into them, but it is God that has to do the work on their heart, right? Only God can change their hearts. We can impact them and pour our lives in them, but God's the one that has to work on the inside, right? It's not going to happen. Nothing's going to happen unless God's working on the inside. You have to, if you have people in your life who want to impact them for Jesus, you've got to give them to God. You've got to commit them to God. You've got to come and say, God, I'm going to do my part, but I'm asking you to do your part and commit them to God and have God work in their hearts and minds. That's what baby dedications are about. We haven't done one in a while, but baby dedications, what they really are, are parent dedications what a baby dedication is. The baby's too young to know what to do. But it's parents. It's parents coming and they're saying, you know, I'm going to do all that I can. 
I'm going to do my part as a parent. And I'm going to bring them to church, get involved in children's ministries. I'm going to be with them. I'm going to teach them. But God, you have to work on their hearts. You have to change their hearts because I can't do that. Parents, you can't change their hearts. God has to do it. And God will, and he does. He does. He changes hearts. We have to choose to be part of that, though. We just can't think it's going to happen by itself. we got to make a plan, a strategic plan to make that happen. How are we going to do that? And it's getting them involved in church and, and other things and teaching them. And you're part of it, and God will do his part. He will do his part. I love the stories of success when God produces fruit in his work, and he uses us to do that. You didn't realize that we're privileged ambassadors. We're privileged workers of God that he uses us to accomplish his will and to bring glory to him where people's lives are transformed by the power of God, and God uses us to reach people with the gospel of Christ, and God transforms them. It's God that does that. And what that is, that's God's power working through the church. That's God's power working through you. That when you're investing in other people and you're seeing a life impact and a life change, it's God's power working through you to accomplish those things. God's changing the heart, but he's using you to share the word of Christ, to model Christ in front of them. And he uses us. When we are given investing in others, it's better to give than receive. We all understand that, right? But it seems like somewhere along the line, we lost that focus. We don't really believe that. Even in the midst of serving Christ, we can do that for very selfish reasons in our own heart and mind. We can serve Christ with wrong motives many times. And the challenge today is very simple. To look at your own life, and as Paul challenged these leaders in Ephesus, he's also challenging you and I today. Are we living in light of the words that rolled off of Jesus' lips? Are we living in life of what Jesus shared with them over and over again? Do we really believe, do we really believe those words that it's more blessed to give than to receive? Do you really believe that? That it's more blessed to give than receive? And if you do, what are you doing about it? Truly, what are you doing about it? How are you investing in others? If you say, boy, I'm really supposed to give, and the way God wants us to give is to be on mission for Jesus, what are you doing about it? Who are you investing in? Who are you pouring your life in for Jesus? And that's what we need to ask. So one of the ways that we look at this is to, to understand this, and we look to the life of Jesus, right? Who's our great model in all this? We look at Jesus. And if we take communion this morning, we look at Jesus. Jesus was the model of all this. Did he invest it in us, did he not? He invested in us when he came, and he died on the cross for us so you and I can have life, and he invested in us so we can have that. He put us first. He invested in us by laying down his life, and it cost him something. There was a great cost. There was a great toll on Jesus to do that. But he also had a strategic plan when he did it. He just didn't die. There was a plan behind that, that when Jesus died on the cross, he was buried and rose again. When he rose from the grave, he conquered death, sin, and Satan, did he? For us. He did it for us so that we might be with him forever, so that we might have life through Jesus. So he thought of our future. You see this in Jesus. He thought of our future, that he came down to this earth to give himself, to give you and I a future with him. It was all planned out, strategic plan that God had, so he thought of our future. So this morning, as you and I are taking communion, we remember Jesus. Remember the cost, that he died on the cross. And he really did die. He really did bleed and, and really was tortured upon that, on that cross. And because of his blood shed upon that cross, you and I have forgiveness of sins. And God had a plan. It was to, so, so he would die for us, so we would have 
eternal life with him, find forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God through Jesus. And he did it for you and I, sacrificed for you and I. He thought of our future. He thought of you. It was all for us. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for you because he knew if he did not come, you and I did not have a future. The only way we had a future is Jesus had to come and sacrifice, and it was all planned out before the foundation of the world that he would die for us. So as we're taking communion this morning, we want to remember Jesus. As we take the elements, we remember that he gave his body and he shed his blood. And we have the three tables set up here. Did you come up here? We're not going to pass them out. After I get done praying, come up here and take them. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to partake. But as you come up here and take the communion and go back to your seat, remember Jesus. Remember the cost. Remember the sacrifice. Remember what he endured for you and I. He didn't have to leave the throne room of God. He didn't have to leave all the glory of heaven. But he chose to come down here to sacrifice you, you and I, to suffer the cost that it would took for him because he had a plan. And he thought of you and my future. And we praise God for that. That the way that Jesus did that for us, God says, that you and I are to live for him. And I want you to think about that. That you and I are to live for him. That now that we're followers of Jesus, there's going to be a cost. There's going to be a toll on, on, on us, too, a toll. They were to live for him, not just live carelessly our life, just this free life, but we have to have a plan. And the plan is, how am I going to invest in others, prepare other people for the future, so they, too, may know Jesus, so they, too, may become followers in Christ? How am I going to invest in my children, my grandchildren, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, or anyone that's in my sphere of influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be on mission for Jesus that's what he's calling us to. That's what Paul was talking about here in this passage. And it's going to cost you. The way it costs Jesus, the way it costs the Apostle Paul, if we're truly on mission for Christ, it's going to cost us. I'm not saying people are going to drag us out in the street and beat us and all that, but there's going to be a cost. There's going to be a cost. Things we have to get rid of out of our life, there's going to be a cost. People may not want to hang out with us, but if we're on mission for Christ, there's going to be a cost. So as we're taking communion this morning, remember Jesus, the cost that he endured that it took on him. Remember, as we take the elements that he gave his life, gave his body, and he shed his blood for us. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. And Lord, as we take communion this morning, that this is offered to us as the church, those who know Jesus Christ, your Savior, that you've invited us to partake this morning to your table. It's an invitation that only you can give. It's to those who have put their faith and trust in you that know you. And Lord, I pray for each person here, if they don't know you this morning, they can come and put their faith and trust in Jesus right now, right now, and accept Christ. And they too can partake of this table. So Lord, we come here and we ask, Lord, that we would not treat this table uh, less than it deserves to be treated, but we would honor it this morning. That we respect it. Respect you as we take it. But remember you what you so graciously did for us, that you came and you gave your body and you died upon the cross for our sins. You did it for us. You sacrificed for us. It cost you a lot. You planned this all out, but Lord, you thought for our future. You did it for us. So we praise you and thank you. So Lord, I pray for each person here to remember Jesus and the cross, but Lord, we also examine our own hearts today. Lord, and Lord, he confess any sin confess if we're doing our own thing and, and uh, lost our focus, that we repent this morning and turn towards you to walk with Jesus. And if each and every one of us would be on mission for Jesus this morning and 
one of the things that communion does is they get, a, get us unified and focused on Jesus. Not our ways, but on Jesus. And we confess our sins and give our hearts right. So I pray that, Lord, as you're purifying each and every one of us, we confess our sin and get our hearts and minds right. And Lord, as we take this, may we honor you today because you're here in our presence. May we be thankful for what you've done for us, that that outpouring of love upon that cross for us was amazing. And Lord, may we worship you as we take communion. May we think of you. May we give our allegiance to you. And may we, as we take it, we say, I love you. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the elements.
same way he passed the cup, and he said, this cup represents the new covenant, forgiveness of sins, the shedding of blood. Whenever you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you and thank you as we remember thee. Think of the cross, the sacrifice. Think of the love, the grace, the mercy, everything that you did on us, and the forgiveness that we find through Jesus, the eternal life you know, that we have through Christ. Everything that we have, everything that we have, is because of you, Jesus because of what you did upon that cross and when you were buried how you rose from that grave everything hinges on that the resurrection so Lord we're so thankful for Jesus the Bible tells us to fix our eyes upon the author and perfecter of our faith Christ who endured the scorn of the cross for us and Lord we need to be like that in our life that though we fix our eyes upon you Jesus no matter what it may cost us that we'll be on mission for Jesus remember what it cost you no matter what I may endure on this earth, there's nothing compared to what they did to you. May we live for you, Jesus, in every area of our life. May we surrender. May we get rid of the things that don't belong. May we repent of those things in our hearts and minds and turn to you and live for you. We love you and praise you, Lord. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the life that we have and forgiveness of sins, all the things and all the benefits we have because of you what you did for us. That you loved us. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. For us. Not for himself, for us. We forever worship you and praise you because of that. We love you and praise you, Lord. And Lord, we ask now that we continue to worship you, that those things will be in our hearts and our minds this morning. Lord, we're thinking about being on mission because when you came here, you're on mission. Now you've handed that mission to us, that baton to us, Lord, that we might carry it on and be the unstoppable church that you called us to be, the unstoppable people that you called us to be. May we glorify you, Lord, in everything that we do. We ask these things in Jesus' name.